And so Paul is going to warn the Philippian church of some dangers, of some things. And again, in this study that we've been looking at with the book of Philippians, uh, we noted that this is the most encouraging letter probably in the New Testament as far as there wasn't a lot of critique. You know, a lot of times you're going to read Paul's letters to the churches and he's going to address a lot of the problems, things that are going on and that they need to look at. And, and there's very, very little of that here in this book except for this section right here. The theme of Philippians is joy. Rejoice in the Lord. And I'm thankful God has brought us to this study in the time that we have been in it, even though we took a pause for the calls for a while. It's a good study to be in, in light of everything that's going on in the world. When the world gets dark, when our circumstances grow dark, the light of Christ ought to shine its brightest. And if there's ever been a time to a draw from the joy of the Lord, it's in dark days, it's in difficult circumstances. And I know whether they be personal that you face individually, uh, trials and tribulations, sufferings that you may be uh, physically enduring or mentally, spiritually, the answer is still the same. His grace is sufficient. And so we want to look today in the Word of God and we want to reflect on these things, these truths that Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. I'm not going to give you a whole lot of background because, again, we've been there, done that. If you want to go back, if you're just joining the study online today or, or maybe joining us here for the first time in this study, I invite you to go back online, our podcast, and get the background, get the history of what's got us to chapter 3, what's been going on prior to. But I want to share at least this. The last section that we talked about in chapter 2 was a reflection upon some of the servants of Christ. Specifically, Paul had highlighted Timothy. Timothy was going to be sent to the church at Philippi. And so he wanted to send Timothy shortly. Paul's in prison. He trusted that he would be an encouragement to them. He also talked about Epaphroditus and he praised him. And again, uh, knowing that Epaphroditus came to help and, and, and Paul appreciated that. He had gotten sick. Paul was sending him back. Wanted them to know, hey, greatly appreciate this encouragement from this brother. They knew Epaphroditus. He was one of their own. And now Paul, here in chapter 3, He's highlighted those servants. He's going to do something that Paul rarely does in his letters. But when he does it, we need to pay attention. He's going to shine a little light on himself. Now you'll see the reason he does that in the context when we read today. So if you would, join me uh, this morning as we look at the Word of God. I'll put it up on the screen for you, but you uh, can follow along there in uh, uh, Philippians chapter 3. And we'll look at that here. I'm going to probably need some batteries or reconnection here, gentlemen. So if somebody wants to take that one for me, I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Perfect. Gracias. Notice, if you would, the Word of God this morning from Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we 
are the circumcision, who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me? These I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead." Father, I pray this morning for the preaching of Your Word, the teaching of Your Word. Open our hearts to receive. May our hearts be fertile soil that the seed that is planted would grow, that there be understanding. And Lord, I pray that if there be anyone here or anyone listening, watching online, that's standing on their own self-righteous deeds, their own works for salvation, Lord, convict them and draw them to repentance in faith in Christ alone for their salvation. And Lord, we'll give you the praise this day for what you and you alone can do. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, our outline today, and again, no promises on how far we're going to get, but uh, if you're taking notes... Here's where we're headed. We're going to look first off at the contrast here in this section of Scripture. And that will be found in verses 1 through 3, the contrast that Paul is laying out here. And then we're going to look at the confidence. And you'll see that in verses 4 and 6. And then lastly, when we close out this section of study, we'll look at the conclusion, which is in verses 7 through 11. And so, again, let's, let's pick up here today in the contrast. Uh, originally, I thought about entitling this sermon, The Original Flintstones, but I didn't think that would probably be appropriate. Um, some of you will get that circumcision joke in a little while. This section of contrast is about circumcision. Now, you know, again, I know this can... Uh, um, but let's talk about this. We need to understand this. If we don't understand the definition of biblical circumcision, where did it come from, why do we do it, you know, then we're not going to really understand Paul's point here. And so we're going to have to do a little history uh, in regards to this idea of circumcision. And so to do, we need to look at some history. 
I want to read a quote. It's a little lengthy, but I feel like instead of reinventing the wheel, this will kind of help draw us into the understanding of where this came from. As you know, this was a practice in Jewish custom. All right? This was a promise that was supposed to be uh, exercised, if you will, to, to demonstrate uh, this relationship, this covenant relationship of God's people. And so when Paul is writing here, there's a specific audience that he has in mind, and we need to understand this. There's this group known as the Judaizers. And these Judaizers were basically people who were Jews who said, okay, in essence, you know what? This Jesus, and, and, and so we're, 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 we're allowing Gentiles to be a part of God's people. All right, let's, let's kind of think through this. Well, i tell you what, if they're going to be a part, then they need to keep the Mosaic Law. So they can have Jesus, but there needs to be a plus. Plus the Mosaic Law. So they need to be circumcised. Okay, this is at the heart of the argument. And, and again, we'll look at this a little closer here, but that's just sort of a big picture. But where did this idea of circumcision come from? And what is Paul's contrast that he's wanting to argue here in the Scripture? The contrast that he's laying out to his reading audience, to the church of believers, predominantly Gentiles there in Philippi, is this idea of false circumcision and true circumcision. So we want a biblical understanding of what false circumcision is and what true circumcision is. It's, uh, and so again, the false circumcision and the true circumcision between those who profess to be the people of God and those who are the people of God. Hear this quote from MacArthur. God is speaking to Abraham, and Abraham is the father of the Jewish people. And we find this in Genesis 17. If you want to know what you need to know about circumcision, where it came from, Genesis 17. You can feel free to turn there as I read this, or you can listen. But in Genesis 17.10, we find that God's speaking to Abraham. Abraham's the father of the Jewish people, the father of Israel. And so Abraham is given this covenant. Here's what it says in Genesis 17.10. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you, and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your, of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is, or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants, a servant who is born in your house or who is bought with money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from the people. He has broken my covenant. God says, I want everybody living in this land, I want everybody who is in your association to be circumcised. That's the plan. And of course, Abraham by now is a full-grown man. He had to have his circumcision as an adult. God's design was that from then on, at eight days of age, 
a child will be circumcised, the male child. <laughs> All the men said, Amen. It's interesting to note that in reading ancient Egyptian literature, this custom of circumcision began to show up in Egyptian culture. For them, it had not the significance that it had for Israel. But for them, it was hygienic. And God knew of its hygienic benefits as well. And medical science today tells us that it lowers significantly the risk of cancer in that area, as well as phimosis, uh, and certain kinds of inflammation that can be very, very serious, particularly among those who have diabetes. So there's medical reasons. We even know this today. But God knew it because God knows everything. So it has a medical hygienic purpose. God knowing that authored it in the life of His people, but that was not the major purpose for it, although it is hygienic. That was not God's primary design. God ordained it as a symbol, as a sign, a very important one. Not just for physical benefit, but as a spiritual reminder. And the reminder is simply this, and I'll see if I can give you a full understanding of it. Nowhere or at no point is a man's depravity more manifest than in the procreative act. Now hear this, guys. This is very important. You say, why do you say that? Well, we know man is a sinner by what he says. We know man is a sinner by what he does. We know man is a sinner by the attitude, the bearing that he carries. We can see on the outside sinful deeds, but how do we know man is a sinner at the base of his character? How do we know man is a sinner at the root of his existence? The answer by what He creates. Whatever comes from the loins of man is wicked because man is wicked. So I say to you, nowhere then in the anatomy of a man or in the activity of a man is depravity more manifest than in the procreative act because it is at precisely that point which He demonstrates the depth of His sinfulness because He produces a sinner. Death entered the world through one man. Sin entered the world through one man. And that sin has been passed through His seed so that each man is a sinner. And I would remind you that Jesus Christ had no human father because there was no human seed in Mary. There, there was no human father who would produce a perfect person. The Spirit of God had to plant a perfect seed in Mary and bypass a human father. The male organ then is the point at which human depravity is most demonstrated. You see, not the deeds of sin, but the nature of sin passed on to the next generation. You say, well then, 
Still, what is the connection with that and circumcision? When God demanded that they circumcise the male, He was giving them a symbol that the outward part of man's procreative organ was cleansed to remind them that man needed to be cleansed of sin at the deepest root of his being. That was the idea. Man needed to be cleansed of his sin through a spiritual surgery at the very root of his nature. And that very graphic symbol was chosen because that is the procreative point at which man produces sinful man. So man in his natural condition is a sinner. And he produces sinners, 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 and nothing but sinners. At the very point of his nature, then he needs cleansing. And every time they circumcised a person, and every time they circumcised a little eight-day-old male child, they were reminding themselves of the fact that man at his very base nature was a wicked sinner and desperately in need of cleansing. It was an illustration of the sinfulness of man and even the bloodshed that occurred in circumcision could symbolize the need for sacrifice to accomplish that cleansing. So there was even a picture of the pain and the sacrifice in the circumcision as well. That's the symbol that was given in the Old Testament to the Jewish nation. And so Paul here in Philippians, knowing the audience understood the background, understanding some of the conversation that had been taking place, there's three things that he wants to warn this Gentile church, predominantly, to beware of. He said, I want you to beware of the dogs. Now, in Jewish culture... The Jews referred to the Gentile, the lost Gentile, as dogs. They saw them as unclean, unfit, unworthy. Now, in that day, I know many of you are pet owners. I have a couple of dogs. We love our little fur babies. But that wasn't the case then. Dogs would roam the streets in packs, and they were oftentimes mangy, dirty mutts. Vicious. And so this term was adopted because of those mangy, dirty, filthy mutts to describe those Gentiles, those unbelievers, those unclean ones. So think about Paul using this term. Do you hear what Paul's saying? Hey, you need to beware of the dogs. Not like these Jews are thinking, because again, who's he calling out? He's calling out Judaizers. He's calling out these self-righteous Jewish people who on the outward look good. They, oh, we've kept the custom. We're of Abraham's seed. We're God's people. Paul says, beware of the dogs. He says, beware of evil workers. 
Oh, they were religious. On the outside, they looked good. They loved the, the best seats. And they loved to you know, have their titles in the marketplace. These people, you knew when they walked into the room. I mean, they made sure you knew when they walked in the room. By this point, oftentimes circumstances were bad in someone's life. Well, it must be because you're not in favor with God. And yet here seem these religious people who seemed to be prospering, and yet their works were unclean. And so Paul is, is warning here. He says, beware of evil workers. They're religious, but they're not righteous. And then he uses this other phrase, which I don't want you to miss. He says, beware of the mutilation. And again, here's his reference to circumcision. The word circumcision, the Greek word used is actually, it means, uh, and, and even in the Hebrew, it means to cut around. To cut around. Paul uses a different term here, and it's, and some of your Bibles uh, may translate it concision, um, but it means to cut off. Yeah. Again, there's a, there's a play on words here. He's being very intentional with his vocabulary. Paul wouldn't mesh real well in the PC culture of today, would he? I offer to you, he was pretty straightforward and bold in his witness here when he calls these three things out as way of warning. He says, beware of these people. Look out for this. And look, this was a major issue in the early church. You need to understand this. The, the church started off being entirely Jewish. Acts 2, right? Peter, he's preaching. Remember, 3,000 souls get added. Remember, Peter is, 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 is preaching, and specifically, he's, he's speaking to the Jewish people in that first sermon. What must we do to be saved? Repent and believe. And so that church begins, and it's not until we get to Acts 10. Acts 10 is when we see the gospel going to uh, the Gentiles when it goes to Cornelius' house. Okay, remember Peter's up on the roof, and he's he has this vision and this this uh, uh, we'll, we'll just call it a um, picnic cloth unfolds with a lot of food on it, and he says, "Eat it." I ain't eating that. That's unclean stuff. There probably might have been some bacon on that thing, but oh, he's a good Jew. He's not gonna he's gonna eat that. That's unclean. And God says, "Don't you call something unclean that I've made clean?" Now get down from this roof. Somebody's at your door. You need to go with them and take the gospel. Man, that'd be, that's kind of crazy that stuff happens, right? God was doing it. Peter goes. Where does he go? He goes to the house of Cornelius. Here was a man. He was a Gentile. But he was responding to the natural light he had. He was, he was actually, you know, you see creation, you know there's a creator. He was following that general revelation. And when this is why we have missionaries today, guys. All right? God is just. He's holy. He's got people all around the globe. And He will move mountains to get someone into the midst so that they might hear the gospel and be saved. The problem is most man doesn't seek. No one seeks after God. The nuns righteous, no, not one. And so what happens is man loves darkness rather than light, so they don't respond to the natural revelation. But if God begins to draw then He'll make provision for the glorious light of the gospel to penetrate the blinded mind of the lost sinner, no matter where they are. And we see this example in, in, in Acts 10. 
And so, with that understanding, there's this major issue that springs up in the church early off. Let me read something to you. So, so, so hear this commentary. When Peter went to Cornelius' house and some Gentiles ended up being saved and receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, many in the church didn't know what to do. As Paul began his ministry among the Gentiles throughout the world again, there were, there were questions being raised as to what the Gentiles should be taught. This is all a new thing, guys. Uh, it, this normally was, you know, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And, and now there's this wild branch being grafted in. What's going on? So in response to these issues, the church did what the church always does. Had a business meeting. <laughs> so, Acts 15 the church had its first big council in Jerusalem in AD 50. Now, some interesting things. Galatians tells us, by the way, if you want, to, you want to get a real look at what Paul thinks on these Judaizers, you go to Galatians. Read Galatians. All right? he, he, I mean, that's a whole letter dedicated to exposing uh, the, the heresy of the, of the Judaizer. But it's interesting because there's actually a, a, a phrase there in Galatians that says they came from James. Now, I recognize that Brother Dean, Pastor Mark, myself, we, we've probably had people who've sat under us before that have gone away from us or the teaching that we've held to and, and shipwrecked their faith, right? And, and have kind of gone astray. So James is no different. James was a prominent figure. Old camel knees. And he was revered in the church in Jerusalem. But Paul notes that this kind of began some of these cats, if you will. God bless you. I miss that. <laughs> Randy, I thought you was going to miss your cue today, but hey, better late than never. Praise God. Man, that's a, that's a good sound. Here are these, in, in these disciples, if you will, but uh, they kind of were going to do their own thing, and they went out from under James' teaching. And went astray and started heaping to themselves disciples, if you will. And this began to kind of penetrate uh, in, in various areas. And, and so this is why you have Paul addressing these things because this became a growing concern in the early church. What do we do with these Gentiles? The final verdict of the church regarding Gentiles was written in a letter. By the way, let me just say this. Put yourself in the context of the day. You're, you're at the Philippian church. These Judaizers were intimidating people. I mean, they had more letters behind their name than Dr. Carver does. I mean, these were, these were men whose whole life is dedicated to the study of the Old Testament Scriptures. This is why when Jesus takes them head on, it's like, you spent your life studying these Scriptures and yet you do not know me? I stand here in your midst and you don't even know? These guys were scholars beyond scholars. Their lives were separated in, in, to, to study this. 
And yet now, here's Jesus and the only credentials Peter and John and these guys have is they spent time with Jesus. They were fishermen. The majority of them. These are your average Joes. And so if you're in the Philippian church, you are intimidated by these guys. These are the holy ones of the community, right? I mean, these are the ones you look to. You knew they knew the Scriptures. And so, well, if they're telling us we need to be circumcised, maybe we need to be circumcised. So this created an issue, and this is why the Jerusalem council had to meet, and they had to make some decisions. What do we need to do now that the Gentiles are being added unto the church? Again, Peter himself struggled with this, did he not? Remember how Peter began to act a little different when those guys would come around? Paul rebukes him. You got up from our barbecue and went over there and ate with those guys to have some tofu? That's paraphrase, of course. I mean, that in and of itself doesn't make any sense, right? <laughs> I mean, come on now. He rebuked him. The final verdict of the church regarding Gentiles was written in a letter. We, listen to this. This is found in Acts 15, verses 23 through 29. So here's this meeting. It's taken place. So they wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying, quote, you must be circumcised and keep the law, end quote, to whom we gave no such commandment. Well, isn't that just like a troublemaker? You know? They get booted from, from one church and they go over here and try to start up their own little thing and try to heap to themselves some disciples, perverting the truth. That goes on a lot in the world today. How do you think we got 26 churches in LaGrange? The enemy knows religion. He knows religious language. And he loves to veil it in liberal theology. Denial of the authority of God's Word. The twisting of God's Word. These are Judaizers. That's who they identified in that Acts Council meeting. They identified these heretics. They're Judaizers. Commanding people to be circumcised. Jesus plus. If you ever want to know what they're really teaching, listen closely. Jesus plus. Sometimes it's not easily seen, but if you pay close attention, you'll note that even though they may be saying one thing, they are implying another. Their actions speak louder than their words. Jesus plus. What, how do we see this today? I'll tell you some ways we see it today. And I'm not afraid to call it out for what it is. Somebody that says you've got to be baptized in the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues, that is a false gospel. That's Jesus plus. That's plus. Baptismal regeneration. Oh, you've got to go under the water. If you don't go under the water, you're not saved. Guys, the baptism of water today is our outward symbol as the church. That's akin to the circumcision. So how is it that these Judaizers say, oh, no, no, you've got to be circumcised or you're not really saved. You get saved when you get circumcised. Oh, you get saved when you get baptized. It's the same lie. That's right. 
You better hear the truth of God's Word because we got good people caught up in cults that are teaching a false gospel. And because of PC correctness within the church, we want to embrace them and call them brothers. They very well may be dogs, evil workers, mutilators. Paul was not afraid to call it for what it was. Now, I can't make that call, but God's Word can make that call. Amen? And we have God's Word. So we don't need to shy away from this. Paul didn't shy away. He's not mincing words, guys. These were Judaizers, commanding people to be circumcised. Verse 25 in Acts 15 goes on and says this, It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord. Boy, like-mindedness on the doctrine of God's Word is important. Assemble with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth, different Judas. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Verse 29 that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from, this, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you'll do well. Farewell. All the early church decided a Gentile needed to be concerned about was not eating meat sacrificed to idols, not eating things strangled because it still had the blood and the meat, something that was offensive to Jews. Now, it's a difference. Remember what Paul says, I become all things to all people that I might win some to Christ. Guys, we should choose to not offend if it's within our means not to. Paul said, I'll give up meat. Do you have the right to eat meat off of Yeah, but that's not what we're arguing about. It's not about your right, American. It's not about your right. We have no rights. We gave that up at the cross. We're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in our bodies. So if it offends a brother, I better lay it down. That's the point the council was making. So notice, he says, because it still has the blood and the meat, something that is offensive to the Jews, and he says to abstain from fornication. That's sex outside of marriage. Okay, These again should be common practices amongst believers. And specifically in that day, there was a lot of pagan practice, again, that took place that was sexual in nature. And so this idea of celibacy and, and, and not you know, uh, sex outside of marriage, again, this was, was to be reiterated. But notice, nothing about circumcision. Don't you think if that was God's plan, they would have spelled it out right there in Acts? Oh yeah, and by the way, you've got to be circumcised. No, 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 no. There's nothing about cir circumcision. In fact, they mentioned that it was not an issue. So Paul is making a clear distinction between the false and the true circumcised. That's what he's laying out here in the contrast in the, in the beginning of this section in verses 1 through 3. Now notice the contrast. So these were the three things he said to look out for. Look out for those dogs, those Judaizers. Beware of those evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Um, 
And, and again, when you, when you think about that word, as I mentioned a while ago, Paul is using that term. And, and by the way, they, those, those Jews would have known the Mosaic Law. They would have known that uh, it was forbidden to cut your bodies, to mutilate. Because that was something the lost man did, the pagan did. So when he chooses that word, he knows exactly what he's telling them. You think you're circumcising? Uh-uh. You're mutilating because you're lost. Oof. So now he sees, again, here it is. The, the, the real word circumcision is to cut around. Uh, the concision or, or mutilation is to, is to cut off. Let's look at that real quick in Galatians 5, 12. And again, remember I said this book of Galatians is to deal with these types of Judaizers. Those who were saying Jesus plus, you've got to keep the mosaic, the ritualistic practices. Notice what he says in Galatians 5, 12. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Ouch. You understand what Paul's saying, right? Just like cancer needs to be cut out, these guys need to be cut out. And so he compares this. Notice, again, Paul's making this a clear distinction between the false and the true circumcised. Not everyone who says they're of uh, their father Abraham is of Abraham, right? But those who do the work of the father. Well, we'll look at some more of this. Um, Paul makes a, a, a response here. Notice what he says in the letter. He says, verse 3, For we are the circumcision. You hear what he's saying, church? He says, we are the circumcision. Believer, this morning, if you're here and you've trusted Jesus Christ alone for your means of salvation, you and I are the circumcision. What, what do you mean, pastor? What do you mean? Well, let's, again, here's the contrast. Notice what he says. Three things. So you got three things to warn you about. Three things. Again, we got the three false. We got the three true. If these things are true of you, listen closely. Who worship God in spirit. We're told in John 4, 24, again, those who worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth, God says, right? The Father seeks those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. He said those who rejoice in Christ Jesus. Those who rejoice. 1 Corinthians... 1 Corinthians verse, or chapter 1. Listen to what it says in verse 31. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Paul started this Philippians here in this section. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And then he repeats it again. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. who have no confidence in the flesh. Romans 5, hold your spot, you can go over there or you can listen as I read this 
uh, section of Scripture. Romans 5, which is another great section to expound on some of this. But in Romans 5, 7, it says the following. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man uh, someone would even dare to die. Guys, our confidence is not in who we are or what we do, but what has been done. Christ Jesus died for us. My confidence is in Him, in His character, in His being. He's the only one who is good. He alone and none other. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Romans 5.17 Three things. Who worship God in spirit, who rejoice in Christ Jesus, who have no confidence in the flesh, those are the ones who are the circumcision of the heart. We are the circumcision. Hey, this isn't anything new. Paul's saying, look, you're not righteous because of what you do. You're not righteous because you keep the law. In fact, you can't keep the law. The whole point of the law was to show us guilty. The whole point of the law was given to say, hey, you cannot live to this perfection. You will fall short. This shows you your need for a Savior. And... Thus saith the Lord, I am providing you a Savior. And so by faith, they would exercise these ritualistic practices to atone for their sin according to the law. And again, this was a covering, not a removal, but a covering. And so by faith, they did these sacrificial things. They did these acts ritualistically, not from a religious heart, but from a righteous heart. So those of the Old Testament, those who, who again, by the way, might I remind you, was the law in place when Abraham believed God? No. Abraham believed God and it was what? It was counted unto him for righteousness. So what you and I need is not self-righteousness. We don't need righteousness that comes by the law because we can never attain to that righteousness. So therefore, we need some imputed righteousness that comes through the man Jesus Christ because He alone is our high priest. He alone can atone for our sins. Uh, him who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He alone is the sacrifice, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He alone is the only one who can make us righteous through His righteousness. I have no confidence in the flesh. My confidence is in Christ Jesus and who He is and what He has done. And He has accredited that to our account. Notice again, this isn't something new. The Old Testament taught them this. The Jews should have known this. Deuteronomy 10, 16. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Dr. Carver's doing a great job in the Sunday school class. If you've not come, guys, you don't want to see this. A very relevant study. You know? We live in a day where, you know, what do we need to do? We need to fight the government. I fight authority. Authority always wins.
Zach, that's your next video, sorry. It's a losing battle, guys. God establishes authority, right? He said, if my kingdom were of this world, my, my subjects would fight. We're not going to bring about righteousness by our will. God's will be done. You want to know how to clean this country up? It starts right here. It's not them, guys. It's not them. It's us. It's us. We're God's people. Those of us who know God, if we will get our hearts in life right, if we will fall upon our face in repentance and cry out to the Lord, He will hear and He will heal our land. It's not them. It's you. It's me. We're the problem. And when we stop blaming others like Adam and Eve did in the garden, and we start looking at our own self and take some responsibility, we will find healing. God desires circumcision of the heart. We need to stop being stiff-necked. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. That's a work of God, amen? amen. And He desires to do that in us and through us. We need to surrender our life to that. Circumcision of the heart. We also see this in, in the New Testament. Colossians 2.11 says, In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. God never intended for the letter of the law, guys. You can't keep the letter of the law. It's the spirit of the law. And this is only accomplished through Christ. When Christ went to the cross, He went to the cross to fulfill the law. It's finished. He completed. He satisfied the demand. Now, that doesn't mean we discard the law. There's still moral law that applies. Now, we don't have to do all the you know, uh, ritualistic things that were involved for the nation of Israel because in this sense we're distinct. There's a new covenant in Christ's blood. But there's still moral law that, that governs. There's still things that we're subject to and that ultimately is the authority of God. And so there must be fruit that comes forth from a life that has been circumcised in heart. That does manifest outwardly. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, may it never be so. For those who think, oh, well, hey, my sins are covered. Why not just live it up? Mm, that's someone who does not understand the cross of Calvary. And so, circumcision of the heart. We, we see Romans 2, 25 to 29 says, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even when your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he's not a Jew who is one outwardly, 
nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. You see, these Judaizers that Paul is exposing here were not true Israel. They're not true Jews. They're not true believers. And Paul is warning them about such false teaching. And I love the fact that, again, he started this little section right here, this paragraph, if you will, with rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it's safe. He's saying, look, I know you've heard this before in other letters, all right? But uh, uh, again, reminder, reminder, right? Remember, remember, remember. I mean, repetition is how we learn, right? Okay? Paul is saying, look, rejoice in the Lord. And then here again he says, rejoice in Christ Jesus. We have reason to rejoice because of who Christ is. Because of what He's done on our behalf. And if you are here today and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things pass away. Behold, all things are becoming new. And so Paul is reminding these people, hey guys, the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is the theme in Philippians. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If God be for you, who can be against you? Don't fear these dogs, these mutilators, these heretics. Don't be, don't be fearful of them. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Guys, this is the truth of God's Word. I'll pick up next week on this point too, but I don't want you to miss this. Paul is going to now lay out, he's going to say, I'm going to give you a little teaser for, for what's coming. Paul says, okay, alright. You Judaizers, you want to play this game? You want to step to the plate? You want to play this game? All right, I'll play this game with you. Now how? Because again, now this is not normal with Paul's character, right? But, but Paul's at a point. Do you ever get to a point? I mean, sometimes we just get to a point. All right, I didn't bring this fight. You brought it. So you want to fight? Let's go. You know, now no, we don't really go. All right, just so you... That's not what I'm saying. But he begins to engage in the dialogue. And he's in essence going to say this. You want to put your resume... Stop intimidating these, these, these little uh, uh, farmers and, and these little uh, uh, um, uh, fishermen. Because in their eyes, that's the way they saw them. But that's not how God sees it, right? Right? Paul's going to step to the plate though and say, all right, I'll play on your games. Let me put my resume against your resume. Let's see how you stand. You want to bully people? Let me bully you a bit. I mean, again, this is, um, this is paraphrasing stuff, all right? So take it for what it's worth. This is Pastor Jeremy's interpretation opinion on that point. But he is standing up and saying, you want to compare? Let's compare. That's foolishness. He says this in other places. why we don't compare ourselves with each other. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that tells us right away we're fools when, when, when these guys are trying to do that. But Paul's going to play their game in the flesh just for a moment to make a point. 
And when he makes this point, you could probably hear the fishing pole drop at that point, you know. We're going to look at it next week. Because they had confidence in the flesh. Paul, a.k.a. Saul, had confidence in the flesh. What did that get him? He's going to tell him what that got him. And then you're going to see another contrast. Saul versus Paul. Okay? He's a changed man. And many of you here today are changed men and women. Because you've come to understand that righteousness isn't something you achieve through religion. Righteousness is something that you receive as a gift by the grace of God. I'll close with this illustration. There was a um, a story told by Warren Wiersbe. And he wrote this. He writes that a, a lady was arguing with her pastor. <laughs> That's, that never happens. Anyway, <laughs> A lady was arguing with her pastor about this matter of faith and works. I think that getting to heaven is like rowing a boat, she said. One oar is faith. And the other oar... Boy, I'm, I'm, I'm not a very good rower, am I? Okay. The other oar is works. If you use both, you get there. If you use only one, you go around in circles. There's only one thing wrong with your illustration, replied the pastor. Nobody's going to heaven in a rowboat. The only work that will get us into heaven is the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Amen. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that it's, it's rich and it's just an inexhaustible well. We can draw from it and drink from the depths of it and the cool of that water. And yet, Lord, is still more to draw from. Thank you for that. I pray our souls are refreshed today to, re- to be reminded that it's not by works of righteousness that we've done. It's not by keeping the law. It's not by being religious. It's not because we go to church or we've been baptized or we take the Lord's table. Those things are religious acts apart from the Spirit of God. And so, Lord, convict us in our own life. Have we perhaps made things idols? Maybe even church has become an idol, a a tradition. It's, It's apathetic in our walk, and it's just something we do. Lord, have Your will and way in our hearts and lives. Circumcise our hearts. Make them fresh and soft again to the things of God that we might know You and make You known that we would hold no confidence in the flesh, but that our complete surrender would rest on the finished work of Calvary. And so, Lord, I pray in this closing moment, if there be anyone listening, watching online, that's never come to the end of themselves, Lord, they've never surrendered their heart to Christ, repented of their sin, and believed in Christ Jesus. 
by Your grace, Lord, would You call them to Yourself today? And You said if, if anyone comes, You wouldn't turn them away. If the, if the Father, through the Holy Spirit, draws them to repentance and faith, Lord, You said You would not cast them out. By faith, may they believe You at Your Word and respond accordingly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so, Lord, in this closing moment, if there be anyone listening, may they truly cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sin and to have their heart circumcised, to receive the imputed righteousness that Jesus alone has the right to through His death, burial, and resurrection. And may we know that resurrection power as we move forward in life, sharing the good news with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for your time. And uh, again, um, we'll look forward to seeing most of you on Wednesday evening for our teen club and youth. If you want to get involved helping out with nursery, Children's Church, please see Pastor Mark. There's uh, sign-ups and need everywhere. If you want to help with the Olympians and Gophers, there's always need. And so put those gifts to use and join us on Wednesday night and let the Lord use you. Be a blessing to others. Thank you guys. You are dismissed.